Sometimes the Lord calls you to different places, but what happens to the people in the place that you just left? Let's talk about that today on the Midweek Move. All right, Pastor, we are here with the Midweek Move. Uh, it's a little bit different today, obviously. Yeah. We're going to be doing, um, for the next few weeks, we're doing something called, we're calling Reflections. We're kind of reflecting on uh, the messages from our Sunday Street Gathering and just some uh, deeper dive conversations that we want to have. And um, doing this is going to be interesting because, um, as you know, there's, there's various ways people come to the scriptures and they look at that. Um, just for people listening, what are those different categories of the way you examine scriptures and, and pull out the, the thoughts out of those. Yeah, so when you talk about teaching and preaching, you hear the word expository mm-hmm. a lot. You know well about that. As I a matter of fact, we've got <laughs> the expositors of the Bible. <laughs> now, um, in the expository realm, you're talking about an exposition of scripture that's not just kind of one verse pulled out, right. but it's contextualization. When you talk about uh, you hear words like exegesis, right? Okay, so exegesis is remaining true to the text. Right. It is, it is, uh, you know, not allegorizing, right? Or anything like that. Eisegesis a lot of times yeah. means eisegesis is where you're putting yourself into the text. You're putting your own meaning, your own thoughts into it, and it it goes sideways quickly for a lot of people. Because yeah, it's, it's like I'm David. Yeah, <laughs> you're David, but it's beyond just even that. It, it's a matter of I have an agenda. And I want to put that in the scriptures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to put that in there, and it's not biblical. It's a, uh, it's a maybe your moral standing that's not a biblical standing that you're trying right. to put into it. And that's what Jesus really is. And then there's the allegory, right? Um, and and in the allegory uh, allegorization of scripture, then where would we lean toward that? With allegorization uh, done properly, we've examined the exegesis. We examined what is actually in the text, and now yep. we're making a practical application. Uh, using the scripture as a ground grounding, we're going okay. Here's this, and this is how we can make it apply to our life in an appropriate manner. Yep. Again, this can go left field very quickly. <laughs> you know, but it can also go left field if you don't do that, because then the Bible has no application to your life. Exactly. And so that's where I think some people miss it mm-hmm. in the uh, cautionary tale right. of you can't insert yourself, you can't, and then. That goes all the way to the point of you can't bring anything out for yourself, which mm. then just makes the Bible just a book, stories. Yeah. So there's no... You can't learn from it. Yeah, because it, it's clear in the New Testament that the Bible is living. The Word of God is living and mm. active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Right. It can't be living and active if it's just a story. Sure. And so if there are no application purposes for that we can take from it, it's not living. Right. It's not active. I think the problem that people run into is when they allegorize uh, those who have done it in the not good way, if you will, they have brought out an application that's not biblical. Like you go, here's an application, and you go back to the to just the entirety of Scripture, you're like, this is not a biblical foundation at all. In fact, this is anti-biblical. This may be even anti-Christal. We need to not do that, and that's the problem. That whenever the allegory is, it needs to be something that is legitimately backed up, not by anecdotal evidence, evidence of the Bible, but the foundation of the Bible itself. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that a lot of times when you're speaking or teaching, it's important to say those things. Mm-hmm. It's it's important to get ahead of it. Right. If you're gonna allegorize, then you need to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to talk about, okay, we we can mine some. Um, 
we can mine some treasure out of this scripture f- and apply it to our lives. Right. Here's how we could apply this to our lives. Right. And using the application, because again, if you can't apply the Bible to your life, it's not living. Right. It's not active. It's not the word of God. Right. And I appreciate so much you said that sometimes we have to get ahead of ourselves, ahead of the of the curve, and go. I am allegorizing this. I am saying this because so many times I know for me as a as a young Christian, watching certain TV preachers, and they would say this means this. I'm like, now that I'm an adult, I'm going. Oh, that that didn't mean that at all. You were allegorizing it, and that's fine. Yeah. But but you didn't say that. Yeah, I was like, the, that was not the central idea of the text. That was not the central idea of of anything happening there. <laughs> yep. And again, if you put it out there and say it, then you're not ascribing it to the canon of Scripture or the whole Word of God. Right. You're not ascribing it to that. You're mm-hmm. ascribing it more to, okay, these are some lessons, or this is some things that we can get out of it. Because right. ultimately, if you look at all the examples of the Old Testament— we are none of those people, mm. because almost all of them are a type and a shadow of Jesus. Right. David is a type and a shadow of Jesus, not of us. Right. Because he, right, he stands in the gap. If if you do, quote unquote, insert us in that story, we're the Israelites. Right. In fear of the giant. <laughs> right. And Jesus is the greater David. Exactly. Jesus was the greater Moses. Jesus was the greater. All of those examples of the types and shadows, and we know that to be true right. of the Old Testament, that there are types and shadows all the way through, even to like Joshua, Yeshua, right. going across, bringing him into the promised land, that's a type and a shadow. And so without types and shadows, then we don't see Christ in the Old Testament. Exactly. But we see Christ from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through, right. pointing to Jesus. this child who will be born to a virgin, right. right, of Joseph and Mary, and then all the other prof- uh, ancient prophecies that come to fulfillment in Jesus. Right. So good. So we, we give you guys all this context because um, what we're going to do is we're, we're diving into an interesting passage. Now, this past week, Pastor, you preached on on John 21, and it's the restoration of, of, of Peter. Great conversation, great message. Uh, brought a lot of hope, a lot of freedom, I think, for some people. But in that, there was a portion of the passage that... You felt in your spirit that you wanted to say, but you felt Holy Spirit go, this is not the place to say this type of thing, mm-hmm. to go into this. Yeah, yeah. Because, you you know, God had put something on your heart and it would derail some of the conversations that needed to take place. And uh, you and I were talking in staff meeting yesterday, and we both kind of had the same sense about what we're, we're going to talk about today. So if you could uh, just let our, the people listening know, what is it we're talking about? Where in John 21 are we? And um, why did you stop? Yeah, so we were talking about how Jesus appears to his disciples a third time, right? right? So he appears a third time, and he's been resurrected from the dead. Mary Magdalene, he's not there. She encounters him. He encounters the disciples in the room. Then he encounters them again with Thomas. And now this third time he comes, and we're given the names of these people mm-hmm. that he's coming in contact with. We know that they're fishing. We know that they're fished all night long. We... Uh, we um, Stayed true to the text, and why is it important that they were fishing at night? Because that's when they fished. Exactly. Didn't have to launch out into the deep, right? You could stay in the shallows and fish. And that the 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 sun was coming up, and they had caught nothing. Jesus says, throw the nets over the other side. And them being fishermen, knowing what they were doing, it says they did not notice him as Jesus. Right. Right? And so he says, throw it over on the other side, and there has to be this tug and pull of, we know what we're doing, like, what are you doing? And again, we, um, we we did cut a little part out of the online broadcast last week, 
because it was a, an allusion back to Luke 5, right. where Jesus early on had had an encounter with them while they were fishing and said, hey, throw it on the other side, all those different things. But in this, he's saying, uh, throw it on the other side. They do. It's full, right? And then John goes, that's Jesus. And then Peter goes, oh, okay. <laughs> Garment, boom! He's jumping in the water. He's not waiting for everybody else in the boat. He has no chill. He's zero to hundred. He's still, still. I mean, he, all these lessons that Jesus is trying to teach him, and he's still compulsive. Right. He's a very reactionary guy rather than a responsive guy. Right. John's more the responsive guy, not reacting to the things around him. Mm -hmm. He's taking his time. He's the beloved. He's chilling. Right. You know, leaning against Jesus. You know, at the table and all that stuff. And so he he gets to the shore, and we see that Jesus already has fish on the fire, which we pointed out was super important, right? Because he didn't need the fish they were bringing in, the 153 mm -hmm. fish they were bringing. In, he didn't need them, right? And there is a lesson in that that we can take from it, right? Jesus doesn't need our stuff, mm. right? But he does want us, right? And in order to get all of us then it means that we offer our stuff to him. So good. We give it to him so that now our stuff can be consecrated and can be made holy. Right. That's how bringing our offerings to the Lord, that mammon, mm -hmm. that money that has a, a an attachment to it that can be evil, but it's not inherently evil. Right. But that money itself... Now, as we are consecrated to the Lord, now the Lord will bless that, and now it will be used for things that we could have never imagined or thought of before. Exactly. And so that's where we take the gospel to the whole earth, and that's we send missionaries, and missionaries go, and they print Bibles, and all those things that happen, what's happening in the Ukraine with the orphan's hands. Yeah. God's doing a miracle, and we're blessed just to be a part <laughs> of it. But it's not our money that we're bringing to Him. We have consecrated ourselves to Jesus. Right. He doesn't need it, but we need to bring it yeah, yeah. so that it can be blessed. And so Jesus didn't need the fish. He's around a fire. That's a key element, too, because, again, the denial that Peter said no to Jesus when he was about to be crucified, I don't know him, was around strange fire. Yeah, yeah. So, again, yes, it can turn into allegorizing, but Jesus was very intentional with everything that he did. He was. And I know that word has become kind of even taboo now mm -hmm. because it's been used so much. Yeah. Being intentional. Where you have one segment of Christianity says, oh, what they're meaning is don't preach the gospel anymore. Mm. It's a it's a um it's more of a cultural feel-good message now because it's intentional, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And and but Jesus was very intentional about the surroundings, where they were at, what was happening. It wasn't just about what he was about to teach them or speak to them, but he used the elements around him. Right. Things that he taught in the temple had to be taught in the temple. Yeah, yeah. Right? Things that he taught um, in Galilee had to be taught out in the open. Right. Out uh, when he spoke to 5,000. That couldn't be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was too loud for that. Mm -hmm. So where did he speak to the multitudes? Out of Galilee. He would speak on a mountaintop, right, the hill. And the way that the land goes there, I've been there, and I've stood on one of those hills. Yeah, yeah. And Tanya being at the bottom <laughs> next to the Sea of Galilee, and I've said, hey, can you hear me? And she could hear me 
all the way down at the bottom, not me yelling, <laughs> right. but just talking like this. She could hear me. So his intentionality was real. We see it throughout the gospel. That's not eisegesis. That's not allegorizing. That's just fact. That is fact, that Jesus was super intentional, and this was um, one of those other ways. And now you got bread and fish. Yeah. Right? you got. You got loaves and fish, <laughs> like we've heard that before. Mm -hmm. Like all these different things that are happening, and they bring these fish. And the thing that you and I was talking about was 153 fish. And although they were so many, the net was not broken. Right. And while I was speaking, that hit me. Okay, the nets were not broken. Why is this? Like even while I was speaking and preaching, mm -hmm. in my brain I was thinking, why is this important? Yeah, yeah. Now, I even looked at that when I was studying, mm -hmm. and I was going, okay, this is important. I know why I think it's important, mm -hmm. but is that really, again, the context of the Scripture? Right. Is this really what is happening here? Right. Because what we know from history and from the Word of God, that for that load of fish to come in and the net not to be broken was... Unheard of. If not miraculous, <laughs> at the very least, it was it was phenomenal mm -hmm. because we we have seen them mending nets from not getting a full net of fish, right? And we even have seen evidence throughout the scripture that nets have broken, right? With Peter, right. that nets have broken, and so. As I'm looking at this, I'm going, okay, this is miraculous, but it's not only miraculous. There's there's something here. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the Lord? What is the Lord trying to do in this? Right. Why would John put the vocation? John went out of his way to go. The nets did not break. Like almost as if John was like yes, surprised. Yes, that's such by a it. great point. Yes, and so we think he he just inserts it there. But again, John is writing the Word of God as they all did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right. These are not guys just scribing events down. Mm -hmm. This is under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the scriptures are spirit inspired, mm. okay? And the the Word, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and right. then out of that comes this written Word. And so, I begin to think, okay, why? What is so important about the nets not being broken? And where I came to was, you know, when he called him the first time. Mm -hmm. On a boat, fishing. It was occupational. Here, they're not fishing for recreation. Right. Peter said, I'm going fishing. The original language in that speaks to, I'm going back right. to fishing. It, and this is almost at a place, like, even though he's he's seen things take place, it's almost a, I just can't continue. I'm done. What I thought was what God wanted me to do, obviously, is not. I'm going to lean into what I know. Yep. Uh, which isn't a bad thing, leaning into what you know. That's instinctual. Yep. He is at a place where I think he may be, you know, I'm, I'm inferring here, but I can see him in a place of kind of maybe some depression, some doubt. He's like, you know, he's he's on that boat with the guys, throwing over the net, going, is this all I have left? Because of some really important things that you brought out this past week in the, in the on-campus gathering, which was he was chosen by a rabbi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not everybody was. Yep. And that was a big deal to be chosen by a rabbi. And now the one that he had, that had chosen him had died, yep, crucified. His name was smeared. And now he's back on a boat. And there's that question of, was it all for naught? Right. Have I, have I wasted my time? Was any of this real? Um, and what will people think of me now that I'm 
back on a boat. And I think we have biblical evidence for what you just said. I know you use the word infer, but mm-hmm. but in that, I think we have biblical evidence. You know, when he denied Jesus, it was like he wept bitterly. That word bitterly takes on a condemning mm-hmm. um, uh, imagery. Yeah, it, it takes on a something that that lays over you, mm-hmm. something that is a shadow right. over you, something that clings to you. Sure. And so as he's weeping bitterly, it's not just that he weeps and then it's over. Right. It's like when they all left and they're gone, we see that they're hiding. Mm-hmm. Like his first encounter with them, they're hiding for fear of the Jews. Right. But they're also, contextually, they're also, we know that there are doubts in the room. Like, is did this really happen? In one of the accounts, when Mary Magdalene comes, they're not sure if she's telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an inference there that... that well, really? Right. It's almost like when uh, in the book of Acts where they're praying that Peter will be um, released from prison, and they're praying, and they're in the house. Right. And Rhoda goes to the door because there's a knock. And she's like, <laughs> the person says they're Peter, and then everybody else is like, no, it's a ghost. Like, right. <laughs> but you were praying. For him. <laughs> right. You were praying that he would be released. And it's like the same thing. It's like it's not that they didn't love Jesus and they 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 didn't have a belief system, but it was just a jarring mm-hmm. that now this has happened. And again, Jesus had given them, he had given them an insight on, on how they would know mm. that what happened to him was truth. Because he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I have taught you. Mm. Which we know in this case right here, the Holy Spirit has been poured out to them yet. Right. Now we know that that there was a receiving of the Holy Spirit when he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. But there's not an indwelling yet. Right. And Acts 2, indwelling yet of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. And so in everything that he's doing, there's still kind of this um, scales over your eyes kind of moment. Exactly right. with they couldn't tell that it was even Jesus. Yeah. Peter didn't even know it was Jesus. And so when we looked at this, the net was not broken. It was like, okay, so now what's about to happen is Jesus is about to restore Peter right. with, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. And then follow me. The same words he spoke to him when he was fishing as an occupation. Right. He's going back to his occupation here. Jesus restores him, and now he says, follow me. So that means I'm leaving the business again. Mm-hmm. But the business has to be left to somebody. Right. But Jesus calls all of these to follow him, right. the ones who were fishing. So we know, according to what happens after this, that they all do leave that, and they go back to full-on just going after Jesus, declaring Jesus, and then we see the book of Acts and Acts 2 and all of that. But the business of fishing is left to somebody. Right. We don't know who. It's not sure... If it was kept in the family, quote-unquote, we don't know if Peter turns to some guy on the beach and goes, hey, it's yours, or what. We don't know any of that. Right. And so we're not going to infer any of that. But what we do know is that there was a, a, a fishing business right. that has 100 fish. Now, there was 153 caught, but Jesus did say, bring me some. Right. So let's say there's 100 fish. And there are nets that should have been broken, but they're not. 
which means that whoever takes over this business, this fishing business, is not having to spend time mending nets, and they already have some capital, quote unquote, right, to start with because of the fish that have been caught. Yeah, that to me is fascinating. Mm. Again, this isn't. I'm not saying this is the canon of scripture, and I'm not <laughs> saying that this is, but I'm saying that the thought process of that, that when Jesus calls Peter and the rest of them, that he doesn't destroy what they had labored for. That doesn't get destroyed. Right. Somebody's going to get to partake of that mm-hmm. and actually are going to get to start in a better place than when these guys started. Mm-hmm. And that always reminds me of the thing that we say all the time about next generation is that right. we don't want them to suffer or struggle, but we want our ceiling to be their floor. Right. Right. We don't want them to have to, yes, they're going to have to learn their own lessons, but we want to do everything we can to make sure that some of the struggles that we went through, that right. they don't necessarily have to do that. Right. That it doesn't have to be hard just to be hard. Right. Life is hard. But there are certain things that we can put in place for the next generation mm-hmm. that cannot make it quote unquote easier for them, but it can it can create a better opportunity to succeed right. in whatever that is. A real basic example of it, non-spiritual, is simply the when you're raising up a child. You know, but see, we've got to be careful with that word too, non-spiritual. Okay. Because the Lord takes everything that the world thinks is not spiritual and makes it spiritual. This is true. If we consecrate <laughs> it to him. Right. So that's how if we if I have a fishing boat, it's not spiritual, mm-hmm. right? Now I can get a spiritual lesson out of it, but if I consecrate myself to Jesus, mm-hmm. now what I'm a part of becomes kingdom. Right. Now that boat is kingdom. Yeah. There is spiritual application to that. I wasn't correcting. <laughs> I wasn't correcting you, but what I was saying yeah, is yeah, that that's part of it. That's how this that's how this allegorization and this Isa Jesus movement that is so overwhelming and overbearing mm-hmm. that they can't see that God can literally use all things right. for his glory. Absolutely. Absolutely. But my example was, you know, you have people who um, they had to learn about finances the hard way. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? They had to figure out what um, <laughs> how to balance a checkbook, what a checkbook was, how to handle a savings account. And they learned these things the hard way. And so what the natural thing to do, the example of making sure our floor is, our ceiling is their floor, is that when we have your own kids to go, hey, let me teach you how to balance the checkbook. Let me walk you through it. It's not that we're removing... Wait a second, Dallas. That's not holy. That's not not spiritual. But it is, you know, because, you know, uh, debt is bondage. But anyways... uh, (laughs) That's a good word. But the... um, it's not a matter of, of removing the possibility of struggle. It's teaching them to handle the struggle. That's right. It's teaching them how to avoid the struggle. That's so good. So often we go, well, you're just making it easy so they don't learn anything. No, I want them to learn so they don't have to do that. There's a difference between spoiling and preparing. Yes. And I think we can prepare, and I think one of the best ways we can prepare them is not just with our words. Mm-hmm. But equipping them, yeah, giving them the right tools, mm-hmm. not to make everything easier. Because again, life is going to be hard on its own. Sure. Life's going to bring struggles on its own. If you live life, it's going to bring struggle on its own. And I think that this right here, the net was not broken. Man, that just... And again, I'm not going to develop a whole <laughs> sermon series on it, but I just immediately thought 
that in our minds we think, okay, we leave all, forsake all to answer the call. Right. Father, mother, business, occupation, we give it all to Jesus mm-hmm. and we follow him. But in all of that, God cares about our mother, mm-hmm. our father, our business, our job. Those things, the Lord's not up there going, I don't care about those things. Right. He does care about those things because he uses family to reach people. Right. He uses business to reach people for Christ. He uses commerce to fund kingdom here on the earth. Mm-hmm. He he uses those things. And he will even use those things that are used by the wicked mm-hmm. to turn those things and redeem those things. That's what this whole situation is about. Right. Is he is redeeming Peter. Right. He's restoring him. He's reclaiming. Yeah. Peter is reclaiming everything he lost in saying, No, I don't know Jesus. No, I don't know him. Curse you, I don't know him. Right. And in that moment, he loses, we say it this way, he loses almost all of that ground that he gained in those three and a half years mm. in that one moment. Yeah. And I can't imagine. Again, Scripture doesn't go into massive amounts of detail about Peter's process. Mm-hmm. But we know in the weeping of bitterly, we know there's condemnation there. Yeah. We know. From the original language, we know there are things that are hanging on to him, and there, there, there is darkness that is attached to him because of that denial. Right. Or he would not need this restoration. Right. He would not need this redeeming moment. Mm-hmm. But yet Jesus makes a point to redeem those three no's with three yeses, three opportunities to fully redeem him. Right. And the fact that Jesus doesn't look at the fishing boat and the net and everything else and go, hey, we're just going to leave this totally, absolutely destroyed. Nobody's ever going to use this again. My opinion is somebody is going to use it. Yeah. Because if they just leave that net and it's not broken... We know that there's fishing occupationally taking place on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. We know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. It's scriptural. History shows it. Somebody's using that net. Yeah. But they're not going to have to mend it. Yeah. They can pick up and go. That's right. right. That's right. And and Peter doesn't even have to say, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it if they've already been fishing. And I don't know. Maybe it was somebody who already had a fishing boat. Yeah. And maybe this becomes the second one. Yeah. You know, maybe it's building <laughs> upon the business. We don't know. Right. And again, we're not saying mm-hmm. that that's canon of Scripture. What we're saying is, is that John makes a point to say the net was not broken. Mm. And to me, there has to be a lesson in that. Right. And I love the fact that although I did leave everything and follow Jesus mm-hmm. in my world, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I made some big martyr <laughs> sacrifice, but I'm saying that where I lived, my hometown, everything that I knew, I did leave all of that. I left the opportunity to be around my family all the time. Mm-hmm. I I have never been for any length of time around my family, mm-hmm. my, my brother, his family, my mother, my aunts, uncles, cousins. We've never been around that all the time. Right. And so in my world, that's a sacrifice. Right. In my world. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying I'm Dietrich Bonhoeffer <laughs> or, you know, 
I'm not any of those things. But what I am saying is there was a cost right. to say yes to Jesus. But he didn't leave all that in his wake. He cares about my family. He cares about my brother and his family. He cares about my mother. He cares about the job that I left mm. to go into, quote-unquote, occupational ministry. Mm-hmm. And so he cared enough about that, that the things that I did in that, that God built on that for the next person. Right. And so even when I wasn't saved and I was a rec therapist in a nursing home, like somebody brought it to my attention that God was already using a pastoral gift in you when you weren't even saved mm-hmm. because that gift was in you. Right. And he was using it with the elderly. Mm-hmm. And you know, with being with me for 13 years, yeah. of, of my love for the elderly, yeah. my, my, my heart for mm-hmm. the elderly, there's just something there. And when I can't relate to a 27-year-old millennial or a Z or whichever one they're in, right. I can walk into a, a, an assisted living place or I can walk into a home or I can walk into a hospital. And although I did, wasn't raised in the same generation, there's just something there mm. that pulls things out of me. Right. Right? Well, in the context of what we're talking about today, when the Lord called me into full-time occupational ministry... He still cared about what he was using me to do here. Right. The net wasn't broken. Mm-hmm. And that it was good for the next person. Right. And so I think that's where you and I were getting to. And you even had a really awesome thought about, I was sharing with you about um, um, somebody that, that the next two weeks for their school, they're already done with their testing. Mm-hmm. And for the next two weeks, they decided, hey, I'm going to do this. And that had to do with this as well, because you're talking about economics and you're talking about the next generation and leaving something good for them. Yeah. So, so talk about that just for a second about yeah. what he was going to do. Yeah. So, um, it's and it's that person is um, our our student pastor Jaron, and uh, for the next two weeks his students are done because he's he's a math teacher and and testing's done and he's got to do something and and most teachers take this time to check out. We're watching movies. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Um, we're watching through the through the token uh, toll booth, whatever that movie was. Um, but Jaron's like, I'm going to teach them about economics. He's, he's doing basically what I just talked about. You know, I'm, I'm imparting into how because they don't teach that here. That's right. I don't know where, where you guys live who are listening, but for whatever reason, we don't teach economics here. Yeah, how to handle a checkbook, <laughs> something basic, budget. Right. And Jaron is very skilled at that. He's very yep. talented. And so he's like, I'm going to pour life into these kids so they can have a better time than what I've seen out there. Yeah. He's a math teacher. Right. So it is... It is the math of economics. Yeah. It is teaching them how to do those things. And again, it is, all right, I have an opportunity here, and I'm going to provide something to to launch them out, right? right? Because they're graduating or they're, you know, they're going to be moving into their senior year or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I want to launch them out and equip them with right. things they didn't have before. Right. I don't want to leave the net broken. Mm-hmm. Right? So... so so as we were just kind of talking through this, I was like, man, the, the Scripture, if we will allow the Scripture to, it will teach us things that we don't think, quote-unquote, are spiritual. Mm-hmm. Or it will teach us things that are very practical that have a supernatural nature to it. Yeah, And I think that's where I'm getting to in this conversation is this, is that there is such thing in my mind as the practical supernatural. Mm. That when we do things as unto the Lord, which is scriptural, right, 
that now the the very pragmatic, practical things that we do every day Mm -hmm. can become supernatural. God can use them for a supernatural purpose and do supernatural things with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's loaves and fish all day long. Right. That's something very practical. The young man didn't go, hey, we're going to the great feast. We're going to see Jesus of Nazareth. I better have some matzah and some fish (laughs) so that he can multiply it to feed thousands of people. Right. No. He was given that for his journey to be able to survive. Right. Sometimes people journeying the pilgrimage to go to the feast, it was sometimes their life was in peril. Yeah. Because of the journey. It wasn't an easy journey. Right. So it wasn't that he he needed that to sustain him to get to Jerusalem for the feast. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is like, what do you have? Mm-hmm. Well, here's what we have. He just happens to have this. Right. Well, in the practical sense, it seems like he's stealing this kid's <laughs> lunch <laughs> substance, right? Yeah. But in the supernatural sense, Jesus is about to take something very practical mm-hmm. that whether this young man's mom did it for him or whoever, very practical, and it's about to get supernatural. Yeah. It doesn't become supernatural if there's no practicality to it to begin with. If right. there's nothing there, yes, Jesus could have created something out of nothing. Yeah. But that's not the lesson he was teaching. Yeah. The lesson he was teaching is with your small, I can feed everybody. Right. Because he was teaching the greater lesson to everybody. Right. The thousands. Mm-hmm. Making them to lie down in green pastures in the middle of a desert. Right. Seating them in rows like Moses did all the way back to the beginning. Jesus is teaching them a greater lesson other than I'm about to feed all of you. Right. I'm the great shepherd. Right. Again, make you lie down in green pastures, Psalms. Right. Putting you in rows, the 12 and the 40, all those things, the way that Moses did it, now he's saying, I am the fulfillment of that as well. Mm -hmm. And so, again, super intentional, very practical, but supernatural. Oh, yeah. And and understand, there's a variety of things you can do that are just super practical. Uh, the story of your life and and the teacher with with puffy hands, you know, very yeah. practical. And for those of you who don't know that story, we'll have to have you share that later. But uh, a very kind teacher who was simply very nice and gentle, intentionally so, yeah. and that had lasting influence. What is Jaron teaching economics up to? I don't know today, but it could be in 50 years he, that because he did that, there's the next, you know, Bill Gates, um, whatever, and now he's sowing into a third world country that needs help and he's rescuing the lost and and, um, and ending world slavery. Or maybe it's a kid who's been raised in poverty their whole life and maybe they've never been taught these things and they break a generational pattern right. of living and not to live in some mansion somewhere, but to break a, a, a way of thinking. Mm-hmm to break that so that they could live in freedom, yeah. not in riches, but in freedom. You right. know, when we talk about, you know, when we talk about money or, or giving or anything like that, man, immediately from even sometimes the religious community, there's sure. just this angst about it as if God doesn't care about that. <laughs> God cares about it yeah, yeah, because he uses it for his purposes right. and thereby he cares about it. Right. Because for what I'm bringing to the Lord, not just with my time and my and my giftings, but but with my substance, I bring it to the Lord. And when I give it, and I, my motivation in my heart is right, I'm blessed. But then I give it, and then God does so much more with it mm-hmm. beyond what I could do just in Shreveport, Louisiana. Absolutely. And it's better of us being intentional to look for opportunities to do those kind of things. To be like, just take a moment to speak life to somebody, 
to, to encourage somebody. Yesterday, I was at a, a local restaurant, and there was some some art on the on the wall. And I saw your <laughs> post after that. That was awesome. That was so awesome. And uh, I actually went back. You and I had eaten lunch there. I actually went back with my family for dinner that night, and um, uh, I saw it. I made a post about about it. Hey, you know, cool pictures and everything like that. And it was I, was it anime? Yeah, it was anime. Okay, was, yeah. So we're at the counter of this restaurant. I had not ever eaten at and wanted to, and so we go in. Right. And they had the the uh, uh, the tickets that the waitresses and waiters take your order on. Right. Um, the green tickets, and then some of them are white and all that. And then somebody had drawn these anime figures on them. And right. so they had them stuck to the wall. And you ask, you know, who did that? Well, right. it's the daughter of, I think, the owner or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And so you were like, oh, I know those characters. And you were calling <laughs> it out and all that. And so I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then when I saw your post and you went back and actually said, hey, can I purchase <laughs> one of these? Right. Well, again, something very practical, right. something you liked. Yeah. And you you recognize the gifting mm-hmm. of the artistry of right. it because you were familiar with that, that genre. Mm-hmm. But now for her, she has sold what she probably looked at was just a scribbling or a drawing. Right. But now it's a work of art because it was purchased. Exactly. And I was talking with her. Her stepmom actually was there, and we're talking with her. And she's like, my daughter is freaking out right now. Like, she's never done this before. Yeah. And and she was talking about just before, and that she's trying to encourage her to step out and do something new. I, all I had was, I mean, was $6 in cash. That's all I paid for this thing. Um, but in that moment, it wasn't about the dollars I had. It was about encouraging the little girl so she can go and do something great to yeah. build her up in that moment. Did we, you find out how old she was? She's 16. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And that, the whole point is just to encourage people um, to find something new in their life. And I was intentional about doing that. Now, what's the supernatural aspect of it? Man, I don't know. I hope that she finds the Lord and she does some great stuff down the road. But but I think a part of it is what the stepmom said. She's freaking out yeah, right yeah. now. Something is going on inside of her. Yeah, something's going on inside of her, and and you taking a very practical step mm-hmm. to go, hey, I like that. I'd love to have one of those. Mm-hmm. You gave her money, right? <laughs> right, six dollars. Right. What? But that six dollars was like a million dollars to her, mm-hmm. not because of the money, right. but because the intentionality behind it, mm-hmm. the motivation behind it, which right. was, I want to encourage this young lady. Right. Maybe nobody's ever told her mm-hmm. that she could do this, mm-hmm. but coming from a stranger, but somebody who has an affinity for that genre and appreciates it, takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. We don't know what kind of hope and creativity that inspired in her, right. By that one step, it literally is the looking at the fishing guy in the fishing boat or the guy down the beach who wants to start a fishing thing, right? a business, but doesn't know how. Right. And somebody goes, here's a net that's not broken. Right. Here's a boat. Right. Here's 100 fish. What? <laughs> really? Like, now the practicality of that does become supernatural. Right. God now has been invited into the practicality of our lives. Mm. And when God gets, when he is invited into the practical nature of our lives, mm-hmm. that's when some really crazy supernatural things can happen. Yeah, And I think that's where we're landing with this. Again, we're not, we're not trying to make a doctrine out of the net was not <laughs> broken. It might be a book. But, <laughs> but what we're saying is, is that 
John wrote this for a purpose, right. and it stood out to you and I both mm-hmm. of going, man, like what, what is in here? Mm-hmm. Well, what was in here was a conversation. Right. Absolutely. And a good conversation that we hope has encouraged you guys who are listening right now. And um, we hope it's stirred up into you, stirred something up inside of you to love and good works, which is what the Bible wants us to do. The practical can become supernatural. Absolutely. Something as simple as the net was not broken can become not just a, a, a symbol, but actually something that is imparted to somebody's life to be used. Yeah. And I just believe that, you know, God is, if we will invite him, and somebody just said this, it was a missionary this morning. Mm. I was interviewing a missionary uh, on Zoom, and she was talking about how I said, what about your devotional life? What does that look like as a missionary? Mm. Like, because some people might think you're just in a third heavenly cloud <laughs> all the time. But w- the reality of it, we know, is that you're driving 100 miles out in the bush somewhere. You don't know who you're going to. You don't know what's right. happening. Like, you don't know what's going on. And she said, realizing and being aware of the presence of God, not just every day, but every minute of every day, mm. that God is present everywhere Mm -hmm. and he desires to be in whatever i welcome him into right and i was like again practical everyday living Mm. not just your list of prayers but the spirit of prayer all day long you're so aware of the presence of god that now you can pray just in a second for anything or anyone because you're aware of god's presence right and and I think that where we're at right now in this conversation and where we're landing is that in the very practical things, God is, Jesus is supernaturally doing something in Peter's life. Mm -hmm. He's restoring him. That's supernatural. Yeah. To release him now to go back to following Jesus. Right. Full on. But in the midst of it, there's a couple of very practical things he's doing Mm -hmm. that will become supernatural. Yeah. For someone. For me. Mm. The net was not broken. Those words have become supernatural to me today. Yeah. In my conversation with that missionary this morning, it became super. It was a conversation about the supernatural, but it was practical. Yeah. And I think if we can, if our faith can get to that place Mm -hmm. where it's like, man, okay, Ozarka, not a sponsor. (laughs) But in this, there's water in here. Yeah. Right. And I need water to sustain me. I need water. My body, God created my body to need water. Right. But he also uses water as an expression of life, that it is life, that you can go throughout the whole Bible and wherever there's a well, God's given a a lesson. He's Mm -hmm. teaching them a lesson, not just about provision for their physical body, but he's teaching them a spiritual lesson. And that's why he would then apply water to the Holy Spirit. Right. Living water to Jesus. You know, I will give you rivers of living water. Like come to the fountain that never runs dry he's not talking about some well somewhere that somebody did mm-hmm. dug he's talking about he is the well he's right. the source of all of that so something very practical then becomes supernatural absolutely so good so good awesome Woo. we can go love it more or we could not man that was reflections <laughs> maybe we should have called this reflections and revelations that might be good <laughs> reflections <laughs> And revelations next.
midweek move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dallas has the deep DJ voice. That's not me. I just have the raspy. Well, hey, guys, we appreciate you guys being part of the Midweek Move. Uh, if we can pray with you, encourage you, reach out to us. Mediahub at thbstreetport.com. We do check those emails. We had some people reach out to us the past week, and we are yep. praying for you. Awesome. We love you guys. Appreciate you. Till next time, have a great week. <laughs>